Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. And welcome. It is the Devious Motives podcast. This is episode number 21 in our 30-episode series. Uh, 30 episodes, 30 minutes each, uh, covering the dirty 30, the last 30 days of the election. And it is uh, great to be here with you. Let's dive right into it at the big story that is obviously the debate that was held um, there in Nashville at Belmont University on Thursday night. A very different uh, President Trump uh, making the scene there. And by and by making the scene, showing up, being a part of this, and not behaving the way he did in that first debate, which was, let's be honest, it was quite aggressive. It was uh, off-putting at times, even for his supporters, who felt like you were watching a 90-minute uh, family argument taking place at the dinner table. Uh, watching the president last night, he was measured, he was uh, focused, he was on his message. And what that, I think, did last night, when you put him side-by-side side with Vice President Biden, you saw Vice President Biden clearly prepared to be attacked. He had uh, he had go to phrases and quips, you know, like, well, you just told people to inject bleach. Well, you're you're Abraham Lincoln. You're you know, it's sort of like a, a bad heckler at a comedy show. Uh, Joe Biden was clearly ready for President Trump to uh, uh, explode and, and go and go harshly at him. And instead, he didn't do that. Uh, the president did not do that. The president understood, obviously understood the gravity of the room, understood what it was that was that was happening there in, in real time that the world was watching. But he also, uh, I thought, was really smart about utilizing his protected two minutes. You know, you get that two minutes uninterrupted. That's the place to lay down the attack. And he did it. He did it on Hunter Biden. He did it on uh, Joe Biden corruption. He, he did it on a number of things. Now, there were certainly things that the president took heavy income. Coming on the kids in cages narrative is something that feeds right into uh, the progressives out there. And so ignorant are the progressives out on social media when the president referred to coyotes or as they say in Spanish, coyotes, when he referred to coyotes, morons on Twitter. And, and I mean, literal morons, people who shouldn't even be allowed to have a, a cell phone, let alone be on a Twitter account. 
it were saying that they were stunned and offended that the president would call these people bringing their children across the border as coyotes. How dehumanizing, said Jamel Hill. I didn't even know she was still in the business of communicating. Um, uh, Jamel Hill, David, uh, uh, what's his face from the Parkland shooting? who got famous off the Parkland shooting aftermath. Um, these individuals thought that he was using coyotes as a, as a derogatory term of derision for, uh, for, for desperate people coming across the border. Coyotes, as anybody can tell you, but I guess the geniuses on the left didn't understand, coyotes is actually the, the nickname. It was a, a, a Mexican origin nickname for human smugglers who bring people across the border. I know that. I grew up in a border city, and I just moved to Charlotte from a border city. Uh, I've lived in the two biggest border cities almost in the world, and that would be Juarez, El Paso Juarez, and Tijuana, uh, San Diego. So these are are issues that people clearly do not understand. The elites, the effetes, the people who have house servants, um, uh, Maseratis, and, and massive bank accounts, but don't ever, ever uh, interact with people who are actually Hispanic or, or of Mexican-American heritage or of Mexican heritage or beyond. So that was a that was a low light. Uh, John Meacham this morning went on uh, Morning Joe and he, he he went for the obvious low hanging fruit. He said, you white men out there, you white men, you have lizard brains and you only react to the stimuli in, in your in your most basic reptilian brains because you're all racists. I'm not kidding. Here's John Meacham talking about you white men and your lizard brains that Donald Trump likes to tickle. Well, it, it was remarkable to watch it uh, in, in person. I'd never seen a general election debate, actually, uh, in the room. And one man was running for president of the United States, and the other man was auditioning for a show on Fox. And that may sound like an attempt at glibness, but it was the innate reaction I had to watching the president who dwells in this uh, wilderness of mirrors, to borrow a phrase from the Cold War, uh, where there are these code words and it's a language that I'm sure makes sense to a certain segment of his base. There is a lizard brain in this country. Donald Trump is a product of the white man's, the anguished, nervous white guy's lizard brain. And there's there could be a twitch there. What's so funny to me about MSNBC is this idea that they they represent some sort of a diverse uh, audience base. It is overwhelmingly college educated, wealthy, elite white people. Uh, I think it skews a little heavier women than men because uh, uh, I think their narratives play better for the for the female market that is of the progressive orientation. But that that is the whitest uh, most elite, most effete uh, a, a network uh, and, and channel that's out there on television. I mean, they only just two months ago introduced uh, Joy Reid, somebody with whom I disagree but had been stuck on Saturday morning forever. They only just introduced her into their primetime lineup, marking the first person of color to be in their primetime lineup. I mean, that, that I can remember 20 years, 25 years. I mean, I can't, I can't remember when they had a person of color in their primetime lineup. And, and that's, that's the way the progressives are. They will talk a terrific game when it comes to uh, saying, oh, yeah, man, we got your back. We're down for the struggle. We're virtue signaling. Yay, yay, yay. I'm sorry. Go backwards from Brian Williams to, uh, to, to Rachel Maddow to uh, uh, Lawrence to 
uh, the, the list goes on and on. Nicole Wallace. Uh, this is these are all super elite, super rich, super wealthy progressives. And so when John Meacham comes on and says, "Well, you know, obviously Donald Trump's only talking to the people with the white men lizard brains," if that's all you got, I mean, you're kind of lame, John. I actually was surprised by something. John Meacham is younger than me. He looks like he's 15 years older than me. And I'm not bragging on myself, but John Meacham needs to get some sleep. He looks, clearly he looks exhausted. Speaking of exhaustion, watching that debate last night, something did become very, very apparent. Joe Biden was on his game early, started to fade by about uh, 10 minutes after 10 Eastern time. I I don't know if they gassed him up and sent him out there, but I was noticing a lot more stuttering and stammering. I I could play the clip of him referring to the the poor boys when he meant the proud boys. Uh, but but Joe Biden, from the beginning, if you if you go watch the first five minutes and you watch the last five minutes, is a different guy. He didn't have the gas in the tank. Um, President Trump, who is two weeks away from COVID, he had COVID two weeks ago, had way more energy uh, than did uh, former Vice President Biden. Uh, I thought that uh, Vice President Biden had a poor excuse for doing the uh, crime bill. He claimed he never used the phrase super predators. There's audio all over the Internet uh, that you can find. You can go and search uh, that has him referring to black uh, people who are criminals uh, as as predators. And he says, that, in fact, at one point he says in a clip, uh, you know, there's about 100,000 of these people out there, about 100,000 of these predators out there looking to prey on innocent people. So, you know, don't be telling me uh, what, what, what you think is going on here. Sticking on the MSNBC narrative, though, for a quick second. Let's bring in the aforementioned Rachel Maddow, who at the conclusion of the debate said that Kristen Welker was owed an apology by President Trump and obviously by extension, his evil lizard brained supporters. Here's a, here, here's the exhortation, a reading from the book of Maddow. And as I toss to my colleagues, to Rachel, Nicole, and Joy, I would only add a personal note. Somebody owes our colleague, Kristen Welker, an apology. Take it away. Yeah, exactly. Well, she's owed an apology by the president who attacked her uh, over and over and over again, heading into this event tonight, trying to work the refs, trying to intimidate her. Clearly, Kristen Welker was not intimidated. She is owed an apology. You're right, Brian, from the president on that. But I think she's owed congratulations by the country. I think if there was a clear winner from this debate tonight, um, I don't know who would argue with the fact that it was, in fact, Kristen Walker who did an incredibly professional, cogent, coherent job. So for those of you playing along at the uh, in the home game, professional and coherent and cogent is, is, now, is now a remarkable performance rather than just a basic level of, let's say, oh, I don't know, what would be the word? Uh, the word would be... Uh, competency. Uh, you have President Trump working the refs. At least Rachel Maddow acknowledged that in her little clip. Uh, at least she acknowledges that. At least she says, you know what, this is Donald Trump working the refs. And that, that's why he was coming so hard at, 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 at Kristen Welker. What was said by President Trump, his people on his staff, people in the media, me, was all accurate. It was a, uh, a declaration that Kristen Welker comes from a progressive family who has donated money to the Obama and the Biden campaign. That doesn't mean that Kristen Welker should be disqualified. See, progressives operate from that worldview, right? And here on Devious Motives, we always question the motives, but we also call balls and strikes. We just do. 
the progressives are the ones who want to punish people for their beliefs and for their donations and what they do. They're the ones that try to put you out of business. They're the ones that deploy vaccine waters to tell you to, to stalk, mob stalk, and surround people and tell them they're not welcome in this country. You know, all that sort of stuff, right? Here, let me give you a, let me give you a little bit of an example. Uh, I didn't, I'm not doing this on my radio show because I, I don't want to give the publicity to these people. But I'm going to share it with you here on the podcast. Now, if you share it, that's fine. That's totally cool with me. There is a website, and I went and looked at the website. There is a website called DonaldTrump.watch. DonaldTrump.watch, W-A-T-C-H. And when you go on that website, you find that progressive activists have taken all the data they can get out of the Federal Election Commission donation uh, uh, reporting, right? Because when you, when you give money to a campaign, they have to report who it is that gave them the money and where they are giving the money from. So you would be, uh, I, I would be, you know, Brett Winterbull from Charlotte, right? Okay, and, I, and I'm writing a check to a candidate, a Senator so-and-so or Governor so-and-so. And that, that gets reported. It gets reported as a campaign donor. Okay, you gave uh, 50 bucks to Senator Blowhard. Well, <laughs> this is the disturbing part of all this, because this does not happen in a vacuum. If you go to DonaldTrump.watch, you will find out that you can just punch in a zip code. Like, you don't have to have a name. You don't have to be like, I wonder how much money my brother-in-law donated to the evil orange man. You, you don't have to do you don't have to do that. You you just have to punch in a zip code. I punched in my zip code and it pulled up uh, 25 or 35 people as being uh, residents nearby where I live. And it has pinpoints on a map, a Google map. OK, so this is where we get creepy, folks. So you got pinpoints on a Google map. Those pinpoints represent the home addresses of where these people are who gave the money to Donald Trump, along with amount and date of donation. Now, you may say to yourself, well, Brett, that's the open election system we have. We are monitoring things in that way. It's what we do, Brett. Come on. What do you expect? What's wrong with you, Brett? Well, what's what's wrong with me is I, do do you want to have somebody come knock on your door or pull into your driveway or mail you something that's ticking or some other way confront you because you donated to the president's reelection or to a candidate's uh, election or reelection? I mean, is that where we are? Because there's only one reason you would put this database out. There's only one reason, and that is to go in there and intimidate in the aftermath of the election. If Donald Trump wins, you target them for violence. If Donald Trump loses, you target them for retribution. You know, Bob Reich, former labor sec, uh, was, was writing pieces late last week and early this week about how we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I talked about it here on Devious Motives. Th that Truth and Reconciliation Commission is going to operate uh, like this. Show trials, show trials where people will be hauled out, uh, out of their homes, out of their businesses and be forced to renounce their voting for Donald Trump. If you think that's an exaggeration and I am not a conspiracy nut, 
But that's what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is. It comes from apartheid, the aftermath of apartheid over there in, in, in South Africa. There was something similarly done in the aftermath of, of the fall of the Berlin Wall in East Germany, where people who were former collaborators with the Stasi, people who were Stasi members, people who were Stasi members and killed um, uh, freedom dissidents, were named, their addresses were listed, they were publicly called out and publicly shamed. They really think, the progressives really think that there's going to have to be a forcible kinetic de-Trumpification of America uh, in, if, if Donald Trump loses to Joe Biden, or there's going to have to be some kind of an insurgency against the people who donated to him if he wins the reelect. There's no other possible explanation for why you would have home addresses searchable by name or zip code or address to find out who it is that's giving money to Donald Trump. That, to me, folks, frightening, scary. I don't know who owns this website. It's a privately owned site. But this thing is a perfect weapon for stalking your political opponents. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let's continue. Late on Thursday afternoon, uh, a name became known and a name became prominent in the run-up to the debate in Nashville, and that was the name of Tony Babalewski. Tony Babalewski was uh, uh, Hunter Biden's original uh, business partner when it came to uh, managing the affairs of the Biden clan. Uh, Tony Babalewski uh, originally wanted to work with uh, Hunter Biden on a project called Sinohawk. Sinohawk was going to be an investment vehicle that partnered with elements out of China to do uh, to do to do investment deals and things like that. Tony Babalewski apparently, uh, well, he, he is he's he's a man who is a, a Navy veteran. He comes from a family that has served uh, our nation honorably uh, over the last couple of generations. But Tony Babalewski came out and said, listen, I was working with Hunter Biden. I was meeting with Joe Biden. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the big guy was Joe Biden. And and he went on to tell his story. You can read his uh, his attestations out there on Twitter that he's put out. And he says essentially this. Look. I, I went in wanting to do investment deals. I wanted to work with Hunter and some other people, and we were going to do investment deals with China and make money. Hunter Biden wanted to go in and do influence peddling. In fact, the way you know Babalewski is, is, is playing it straight is the fact that he says, I was concerned about ROI, return on investment. I wanted to go and invest over there in China and see if we can uh, do anything in terms of the, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the investment opportunities in China. Turned out that, that Hunter Biden wanted to just come in here and siphon money out of this operation and make it his own piggy bank. And that worried me. It's illegal. It's embezzlement, actually, uh, when, when you look at doing stuff like that. What did it for Tony Bobolewski, and I talked about this yesterday in the Devious Motives podcast, was the fact that he found out that Hunter Biden had been siphoning off millions of dollars in deals. There's a discussion of a $5 million uh, non-cancelable uh, Chinese note that Peter Schweitzer uncovered over at Breitbart. And, and that note says uh, a, a number of things about uh, it's essentially a $5 million gift to the to the Biden team. Now, that was brought up in the debate on Thursday night. Uh, Joe Biden flipped it into an attack on uh, President Trump and the fact that President Trump has uh, a bank account in China or had a bank account in China in 2013. 
and uh, also paid China more in taxes than the United States. The president disputed it. Uh, Joe Biden said he had never, ever spoken to Hunter Biden about uh, uh, trading on his name or opportunity or any of that. Well, things got real uh, just before the debate uh, about seven o'clock on Thursday night when Tony Bobolewski held a media availability in Nashville, didn't answer any questions, but did say uh, who he was, what his relationship to the Bidens were, what the story was, and essentially saying, I have cell phones, I have hard drives, I have my computers, and I'm giving them all to the FBI, and I'm giving them all to the Senate uh, Homeland Security Committee to investigate this to see and, and to see that it's the real deal. The popular media were really vile uh, uh, yesterday. You you did not see much coverage, and the coverage you saw was derisive, implying that anybody who would talk about this is a psycho, is nuts. Here's here's uh, the uh, take from John Dickerson. John Dickerson is an eminently reasonable guy. He's the political director for CBS News, and he says this uh, this Biden corruption issue is not really going to matter. It's not going to matter to the people that it should matter to uh, because the media is just not going to pay any attention to it. In fact, yesterday, NPR issued a statement. NPR issued a statement saying we're not covering any of this Hunter Biden corruption stuff because, well, we think it wastes the time and it's a distraction from the bigger mission. What what bigger mission? Getting Joe Biden elected. Anyways, I digress. Here's John Dickerson at the roundtable on CBS News. Check it out. I don't think it, it matters a great deal with voters. And, and also, it's obviously risky for the president who has, if you use the standard he is using with the Biden family to look at his own conflicts between his uh, personal uh, business dealings and also the reporting, again, using the standard he uses for the Biden family uh, of debts he still owes to foreign entities. Um, you would think this would be ground he would stay off of. But he's not trying to win a virtue contest here. He's basically trying to strip down uh, Joe Biden's uh, view or people's views about Joe Biden more broadly. Uh, the problem, as Margaret pointed out, is that Joe Biden has an ally in the news cycle, which is if President Trump tries to shift the turf under the Biden family uh, for the purposes of muddying Joe Biden, the news cycle keeps returning to the central piece of this campaign, which is coronavirus and the president's response to it. Uh, and the country has a very negative view of that. And as these numbers continue, it keeps voters focused on that very bad issue for the president. Well, it may not be up to snuff for, say, CBS News or NPR or CNN or anybody like that. But one thing is certain, the FBI is talking to Tony Bobolewski today. We'll see what comes out. He uh, he is going to uh, make a statement to the FBI and make a statement also to Ron Johnson's committee there in the Senate. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the story is going to be ignored. I don't expect there'll be any action on this, but I do think it's fascinating to take a peek at, at how all this kind of plays out and unfolds. Back on uh, MSNBC for a moment, uh, one other thing that I thought was quite fascinating was an impanelment they did with three uh, African-American women. Three black women uh, sat down with one of their reporters, and the reporter was uh, talking, I think it was Chris Jansing. They're all talking, they're all talking through masks. I'm sorry, I wasn't being mock, I wasn't mocking. Uh, but uh, Chris Jansing says to them, what do you all, like, what do you all think? What do you want? They say they're undecided black voters, and... Uh, they are they are kind of still weighing things. One thing I thought that was particularly like, oh boy, uh, brutal. Uh, if you're if you're the Biden Harris ticket, was what they had to say about Joe Biden on race, and what they had to say about Kamala Harris. Check this out. 
What are you looking for? What do you need to hear? Let's start at the crime bill and the fact that he has not, not only not apologized, not only Joe not, Biden. Joe he has not, he has not only not rectified every time he reverts back to, well, it was some, the black caucus members in the, in the church, but they were with the two. Okay. You fooled them as well. You know, you never said, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, I didn't do it. I want to hear an ironclad plan. I don't want to hear if this or if that or after the election. Does the presence of Kamala Harris on the Democratic ticket sway you at all? Not at all. I don't know who says she had our vote. She does not. We were supposed to grab onto Kamala with the black girl magic, but that didn't happen because she she didn't right her wrongs. Like, I hold officials accountable. I don't care what color you are. And I think that too often we automatically think that because someone looks like you, that they're going to have your best interests at heart. And that's that's just not simply true. This is such a huge deal. This is such a huge difference. And it, you can you can track this as the difference between the two parties. The Democratic Party, what I'm about to say, I'm not being derisive of them, okay? But... The Democratic Party is a coalition party of people with different interests. The way the Democratic Party is organized is is into groups, right? You have LGBTQ, you have uh, uh, environmental people, the Greens, you have big labor, you have uh, uh, intersectional women, you have uh, 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 Jewish Democrats, uh, Catholic Democrats, you have, but they're they're all together. They're making up a coalition. And so this idea that because somebody is black, of course they're going to vote for the Democratic Party. That's incredibly presumptive. And because we put a a, 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 a black woman or a, a, an Asian black woman or an intersectional uh, person who Kamala Harris would be under their metric, because we put her on the ticket, of course the black women are going to go for it. You heard what she said at the end. So who, who said like she was the magic ticket? Who said that like they had, she had our vote? Think about it this way. If, are you a conservative? Okay. Are you white? I'm going to assume you're a white conservative. Does Joe Biden have your vote because he's white? Alternately, if, if you are a, a white uh, liberal, why would I presume that you would vote for Donald Trump because you guys share a, a color? The same error is made constantly and consistently in that party's metric when it comes to to projecting how they can win issues. And I'll give you the best example of them all. It came up last night with immigration. The best example of it all is immigration. People on the left presume, of course, we've got the Hispanic vote and the, and the Latin vote. Of course, we've got the Mexican American vote. Uh, and, and it's in it's in it's totally in the bag for us because we we talk about amnesty and immigration and and uh, uh, being a, a sanctuary city and that kind of stuff and that's what uh, Hispanics Latinos like that I don't know that Latinos like that any more than I know uh, any other group likes uh, likes a policy because of who they are because your last name is Ortega or Ramirez or Sosa. Uh, or, or, or any other uh, Hispanic last name or Latin last name, that doesn't mean you want illegal immigrants in your neighborhood. You, you want MS-13 in your neighborhood? You want criminals in your neighborhood? I mean, there, there's got to be a way to slice this a little better. People want the same thing, liberals and conservatives alike. You want to know what they want? They want schools that are good. They want safe streets. And they want 
to be able to get up and go to work and make money. That's what they want. Unless you're an avowed Jacobin socialist wacko, you want to do it. Those are the things you want. Universally, people have the same wants. Love, security, uh, opportunity. Human beings are made to look to the future. All right. They're not made to look backwards. But this idea that, well, if we put a black woman on the ticket, we got this thing sewn up. Why? Why would you say that? It's like saying because we have a black man on the ticket, we've got this sewn up. Okay, so you're telling me if Ben Carson went and ran as a Democrat for president, he'd have it sewn up, right? Because he's a black man who'd be running for president on the Democratic ticket. And people, it's nonsense. It's fiction. You have to campaign at persons, not campaign at people. Well, those people are going to, and these people are going to, and that people are going when you, to. When you look at identity politics like this over on the left, it, you see the differentiation between what happens on the left and on the right. What will happen on the right is they'll say, you know what we got to do is we got to get the pro-lifers. Well, pro-lifers are black and white and Asian and Hispanic and... Um, that's being surrounded by an issue, not being surrounded by a DNA or a melanin uh, amount in your skin kind of make. I just, I don't know how else to, to characterize it other than I think that's entirely presumptive. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that the president on Thursday dropped the 60 minutes uh, unedited videotape just in time to wreck it all for, for Leslie Stahl. Here is uh, one one bit that's going to get overlooked. Uh, he talked about the Biden scandals. He talked about all that sort of stuff. And Leslie Stahl said that the Russian stuff was was disproven and it was, you know, the, the Biden thing has been debunked and all that kind of nonsense. She comes at him on sarcasm. I think this is really entertaining to listen to. She's a little muffled because this is being shot on an iPhone. But listen to the back and forth on sarcasm. My guess is he rewatched that. He watched that yesterday before the debate and used it as sort of a, a way to kind of center himself into what he was going into. My guess is that he understood that last night was was his last best hope to reach those people who are kind of in the middle and undecided. I know it's a small sliver of people, but he had a very easy mission last night. His mission was just basically uh, look like a president, act like a president, talk like a president. Joe Biden was very defensive and he started to come apart towards the end of the debate. Donald Trump looked like a stable guy. You may disagree with him on policies, and that's entirely fair and possible, but you can't deny the economic results that existed before the COVID uh, hit us. And there's a belief, if you, as you look at the polls this morning, that people still have confidence that he would be a better steward of the economy. And I guarantee you today, people who are in Pennsylvania and the Midwest who are, are tied to the 
energy industry are rethinking a lot, a lot, given Joe Biden's, uh, I double dog dare you to put up a clip of me talking about how I'm going to ban fracking. And it was mission accomplished last night. Single biggest mistake since Gary Hart dared the press to follow him and they caught him on the monkey business with his girlfriend. A lot to unpack, a lot to think about. That's going to do it for us. Episode number 21 of Devious Motives. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's vi.com.